Hello and welcome. I'm Bryn Edwards and this is WA Real. My guest today is Griffin Longley. Griffin is CEO, CEO of Nature Play WA, which is focused on promoting unstructured play for kids. He's an award-winning journalist writing for the West Australian for just over 14 years. Uh, he's director of Lifting Horizons, which is an engagement program for at-risk kids, in particular getting involved with Night Hoops, uh, which focuses on promoting life skills, participation and respect through basketball tournaments. In 2014, Griff delivered a fascinating speech with the TEDx, at TEDx Perth about letting kids take risks, stating that we were facing the biggest shift in parenting in generations. And I'd like, I really want to get into that in a bit. And last year, he was regional finalist for the uh, Local Hero category of Australian of the Year. Griff, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Cool. Nice so, to meet you. Thank you. So, Griff, you were born and raised in West Australia. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit, tell, tell me, a Pom, who's only recently moved sure. here seven years ago. What was it like to grow up in, in Frio? It was great. So, um, my dad is from Melbourne. My mum's, sorry, my dad's from Perth. My mum's from Melbourne. They met at a basketball stadium. All right. Which is actually speed dating for tall people. That's, <laughs> that's where you meet people. Um, so, yeah, two Australian parents. Um, growing up in Fremantle, we moved there from when I was pretty young and we lived in a converted warehouse. We were the first family to live in the West End down right. down by the Roundhouse. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, my brothers and I, we had the the mole, you know, out the front of the, the harbour there and the, the harbour itself and the roundhouse is our playgrounds. So we had a very much a feral, free-range childhood. Excellent. So there's a lot of freedom in that. It was, yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It was very much, you know, the classic of mum and dad telling us to be home by dark and they'd drive home from work and they'd see us sitting on the edge of the high street with no shoes on. Excellent. And wonder who those poor kids were and then realise they were theirs. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So how do you think that sort of uh, time and freedom sort of shaped you as a person? I think hugely, I really do. I think everyone's childhood does. Yes. Um, but I think the more freedom people have in that period, you know, personally I think the better. Um, yeah. I'm sure people come through every kind of childhood and, and, and can make of it whatever they want. But for me, having that free-range childhood was huge. And, you know, we'd... We'd be gone for days at a time. We'd get in our dinghy and, and ride up the river and camp wow. camp up the river. We'd go as far as we Not could. the three of you. Yeah, until the snags closed the river off and couldn't get any further. And we'd pull off and, and camp and come back three days later. You know? Outstanding. And your yeah. parents were never nervous, worried? No, they were cross every now and again because, you know, we'd, we'd have the, the motor and the outboard would break down and we'd scramble up to a farm and knock on the door and ask to use the phone and call Dad and he'd... You know, he'd be annoyed that we <laughs> we hadn't taken better care of it and he'd have to come and save us, but no, they, they loved it. Excellent. They were very conscientiously trying to to raise free-thinking yeah. kids, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky enough to let my, uh, te well, my 10-year-old daughter had uh, did a term on the school on Rotnest, mm -hmm. and that was a great opportunity to yeah. let her just run feral. Yeah. Um, she learned how to use a watch, a yeah. wristwatch, yeah. and come yeah. home. She was reliable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a fantastic thing. But then when she came back, it was, well, oh, how do we bring that back? Yeah. Rodness is interesting like that, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's kind of like the clock's been turned back to the 1970s or even the 1950s. So would you say Rodness is like a good sort of time capsule of what I it think was it like? Is. I think it is. It's interesting to see how that happens because it's almost as though parents think that pedophiles can't cross water. Right. You know, like, <laughs> But, you know, all the concerns that we have, 
you know, most of which are pretty ill-founded, yes. um, don't seem to follow us to Rottnest. And right. it, you know, it's a wonderful thing. And I think part of what that is, is that there's all those parents sitting out in the front balconies having a glass of wine. All right. And we're in our front of the house, of the share house. And yeah. as the kids ride by, a kid falls off his bike, three different adults go, you right, mate? You know, yeah. You, oh, no, I'm okay. And off they go. And it's very much like that. Yeah, but, you know, and streets in Perth used to be like that, but we're kind of retreated from the front garden yes. to the front room, back to the games room. You know, the back garden's lost as well. But Indeed. I mean, I think one of the best things we could do would be just to have a campaign to get people on the front verge. I yeah. Think, I think we'd see huge shifts in community just from that. Certainly, um, when I moved here, I was particularly drawn to sitting out the front and mm-hmm. having a beer and watching people come by. And um, I remember not long after arriving here that um, I left I left some furniture out the front. Yeah. And, and my parents immediately said, you're not going to bring that back inside mm-hmm. uh, because back in England, that would have been nicked. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a good spot. I mean, it's amazing to me too, though, so much of where you live is about how you feel about where you live. Yeah. And I think our ideas about community are changing in Perth. And I think it's... I think where the fear is surpassing the realities at the moment, and I'd love to see that dialed back a bit. So you expand on that a bit more. How do you mean? Yeah, look, I, I think we don't know our neighbours as well as we should typically. I mean, there, yeah. there are pockets where it's where it's good, but there's a lot of areas in Perth where people really don't know the neighbours, and they're as a result they're they're fearful about getting furniture nicked. I think that that experience of leaving furniture out is probably starting to recede. Right. Yes. You know and. And certainly with kids being let out, that's that's changing. I had a, a workmate who's from Canada, and when she arrived here with her young children, she was kind of nervous by the fact that there was no kids mucking around on the street. Right. And she went and knocked on all the doors in, within a couple of blocks and said, look, you know, my name's Nicole. Um, I live on that in that house down the road. I've got two little two kids. I can't remember how old they are, eight and ten or something like that. And I'm going to be leaving them out in the park to play after school. If you've got some kids, it'd be great to see them out there. Yeah. And from that one thing, that park went from being empty every day to being full of kids every afternoon. So it's just how we think about the people around us makes yeah. a big change. So when you grew up, was it was it more like that, more communal? Look, I think Perth was generally. Yeah. Um, my experience was a little bit different because we were the only family living in the West End of right. Rio. So. We had a pretty, um, it was really just us three boys mm. um, chasing each other around the place. But in talking to friends who, who grew up in the suburbs of Perth, yes, um, that's my understanding that it was much more like Much that. more communal. Yeah. What do you think's happened in that time? Look, I think there's a few things. I think a big part of it is, um, is the media. You know, I've, yeah. I've been part of that. But we've gone from you know, a 24-hour news cycle into... A, 60 minute news cycle yes. it's just you know you, you check your phone 10 times a day and, and look at more and, and look at the news and you, you're seeing anything bad that happens you're seeing it many many yeah. many times over and you're seeing it from the whole world so you're just getting you're getting inundated with bad news and I, and I think we interpret the world no matter how far away something happened we think about it locally yeah I mean I can't yeah 
constantly seeing um, messages at the moment about you know, Donald Trump and career and stuff yeah. like that. And you know, whilst it is important stuff, how's it going to affect me right now, locally? Yeah. What, what yeah. am I going to do? Am I going to write a letter to Donald? Yeah. You know, Hi, this is Bryn from Fremantle. Can you please stop doing this? Yeah, but if you're like me, it's probably impacting how you feel about the world you live in anyway, yeah. despite that you've got zero control and, and very yeah. little impact. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I watched a interesting podcast recently with a guy called Douglas Rushkoff, who um, is a lecturer over in New York. Yeah. He was saying how all the apps on our, our phone, not only are they almost like little mini businesses that are ready to explode, but they're also there to keep us in a constant state of anxiety. Yeah, they really Continually are. Continually delivering information, whether it's news about big global events, but also then, what are all my friends doing? Yeah. And every time you, you've, you've been away from your phone for a couple of hours and then you see a, see a, see a feed, you're, all, you know, mm-hmm. you're behind and you're getting this present shock. Yeah. I've actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've just come back from eight months in Se- living in Seattle. Right. Building an app um, okay. with an environmental education center and with some funding from Disney. Which has been fascinating, but one of the one of the really interesting moments in that process was meeting with some very very high profile consultants who, on a pro bono basis, came to talk to us about how we could maximise the benefits of this app. And one of the things they were very very explicit about is you have to create moments of anxiety. Yes. If you're going to convert a user into any well, if you're going to convert someone who's downloaded your app into an engaged user. Um, you need to create a moment of anxiety. Whoa. And then you need to create, offer a solution to that moment of anxiety. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, let's dial back a minute. What was, what was the app trying to do? Yeah, well, so the app is a, it's, it's a ironic concept where <laughs> we're trying to use screens to get kids away from screens. Right. So it's an, an app that helps families have ideas and follow through on ways to get their kids outside. Yeah. So it's activities and there's a, a photo safari thing where you're on the equivalent of a, a safari in your neighbourhood or wherever you are. Instead of shooting the animals, you're, you're taking pictures of them. All right, yeah. And recording them and getting them identified. So, yeah, look, it's, it's trying to make technology how, how a tool. How do you create anxiety? Yeah, the classic thing to trigger action in someone from a... A behavioral sciences point of view and look the, the people who are engaged in, in creating technology are very very heavily focused on this sort of thing yes. and they, they do a lot of research and they invest a lot of money in it um, but the, the, the trick is to create a moment of anxiety so ways you might do that is, is have something that's only available for a short period of time so yeah. you're people have anxiety that they might miss it you yeah. know so you know you force them into action in that way um, one of the things that was suggested to us um, by these very lovely people um, was that, you know, could we create anxiety around safety? So if you don't, you know, do this next part of it, your kids will be less safe because this part of it is going to teach you about safety, that sort of thing. But it was a really interesting process because they were genuinely lovely people. Yes. And they understood our mission and, and that what, we were, trying and what we we're trying to achieve. But then they played this, this devil's advocate role of, okay, so we, we see that you're trying to do something good, but how can we, how can we use these tricks, essentially, yes. to, to make it happen? So it was, it was fascinating to hear. Um, we're not 
trying to generate moments of anxiety in the app in the end. We didn't really take their advice because we're actually trying to do the reverse. We're trying to take the anxiety out of parenting. Yes. Um, but it was interesting to watch and to hear their perspective on it. How much do you think in uh, modern day parenting um, we are projecting our fears um, and you know, sort of cocooning our kids and keeping them safe because we can't handle the anxiety of they are so important to us. Yeah, you know, we, we bring them into this world, we love them, and we want the best for them and everything. And yeah. yet, any idea of I mean, I remember the first time my, my, my daughter came home, sort of in tears from school because yeah. somebody had said a nasty word, and our, your first instinct is to sort it out. Yeah, but then it's then I had to dial back and go. No, she's got to deal with this herself, yeah. despite how I feel. So how much do you think there is something there and maybe some sort of education for parents to actually deal with their own anxieties here? I think that's a really, really important point. I think that's a big part of it. Because they set the context for kids. They Absolutely. set the environment. Absolutely. I think there's a few things that play there, and well, I'm sure there's an enormous amount to play. But the things that sort of stand out for me, though, I think you know, we're typically having kids later and we're yeah. having fewer of them. Right. You know, if, you, if you've got five kids by the time you're 22, you know, and you're working full-time trying to put food on the table and it's all chaos, which was the way parenting was done. It was, you know, it was really, it was, it was pretty hand-to-hand combat for a yes. long time. Yes. I mean, you don't have time to engage in that kind of stuff and you're relying on the kids to, to look after each other and to look after themselves. Yes. Now we're typically wealthier. Yep. We're older and we've got fewer kids, so we've got more time more disposable time, time to focus in on our kids. Yeah. So there's that going on. But I think the other thing is it's kind of an unintended consequence of something very positive, which is that we're starting to take parenting pretty seriously. Yeah. And we're really thinking about how can I be a good dad? How can we're I be more a good present? And how can I be more present? And we're reading books and we're talking to our friends about it. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And there's a huge amount of benefit that kids get from that. But you know, that focus can become really quite microscopic. Yeah, you've got to overthink it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the challenges in that to understand that your kid is, from the moment they're born, they're on a mission to leave you. Yes. And to be independent of you. So in that really intense focus of how do I be the best parent, a big part of it that we need to figure into that is how do I prepare them to cope without me? Yes. And if you're thinking about that, from as early on as you can, you start giving them little opportunities to develop those skills. Yeah. I think that part of parenting has been lost a bit. I find, I find um, yeah, so, so I, I'm, a, I'm a separated parent. Yep. During that uh, initial period of separation, you know, I was going through quite a bit of shame and guilt and, and I wasn't seeing my daughter as much as I used to, yep. etc. Yep. And I found myself um, doing things for so we could get on and we still had that thing but I was very much parenting for today yeah and then it was yeah. a, a while back I suddenly realized hang on a minute I gotta start parenting for she's 10 I've got parenting for her you know 5 10 15 yeah. years down the track yeah and that little change in perception suddenly meant that I didn't mind being the bad guy from time to time yeah absolutely yeah yeah and look, one of the one of the things, a little anecdote that I've had relayed to me that I think sort of tells that story quite well, is a guy who was a, a, um, a driving instructor in Perth and had been for many many years, and describing that teaching kids to drive, 
have become immeasurably harder in the last five to ten years. Why is that? Well, his explanation of it is that the majority of kids getting into that passenger, into that driver's seat of that you know L-plated car, have never ridden a bike on the road. Right. And many of them have really never been a pedestrian in any real sense. They've been dropped from place to place by mum and dad. So how that relates is that there's this effort to protect those kids. So yes. you don't want them out walking on the street because you're worried about what might happen. You don't want them riding a bike on the road because you're, you're worried, worried about, about what, what might happen. The unintended consequence... It's anxiety. Again, it is, it? it is. But the unintended consequence is that those parents who who are doing that for very good reasons, from a very good place, are actually depositing their children into the single most dangerous year of their life, the first year of driving. It's when you're most likely to kill yourself. Right. Um, they're depositing them at that moment unprepared. Right. You know? So that kid is arriving with zero experience, their depth perception, their, their understanding of how to move in traffic, human traffic, bike traffic, is non-existent. So they're actually at a highly elevated risk in the most dangerous year of their life because of an effort to protect them. Mm. So if you if you have that kind of image in mind or that kind of story in mind, when your kids four, five, six, and you take them to rock nest, you know, yeah. and you're trying to get them to ride that bike and and fall off and and ride in around the settlement where there's all those other bikes and get it wrong and pull out in front of you know teenagers who have to slam on the brakes and all that stuff is protective parenting and then when they're a bit older you let them do some walking you don't always hold their hand you know as soon as it makes sense so you're trying to find ways to engage them in understanding how to be so what sort of things can we do well look it's I don't have a I don't have an easy list no. of answers for that, but I, I think just having that awareness that your kid needs to learn over time in a sensible, progressive way yeah. how to look after themselves. So it's not just your job as a parent is not to protect them from everything. Your job as a parent is prepare them. prepare them to protect themselves. Mm. And that shift in thinking, you'll find opportunities. You know, yeah. and the things that you might back off because you worry that they might hurt themselves, you might look at that in a different way if you're thinking about actually if they fall off that bike on this very mild little track, you know, yeah. it's actually going to be a protective thing. Yes. You know, it's actually going to help them be safe when they really need it. You know? But from moment to moment, I think, and that's the job of a parent, you've got to, you've got to figure that out. Mm. And, I still think there's a whole thing in there about managing their own anxiety. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Um, and facing, facing up for that. So for, for those who don't quite know Nature Play, um, yeah. what, is it, what is it about if I brought my daughter to an, uh, an event, what yeah. would we experience? Look, the first thing you'd experience would be a bit of dirt. Yeah. Um, and your, your child would probably pick up a stick. Excellent. Yeah. So we, we really try and provide opportunities. So the events we run is only a small part of what we do. But the events are around setting up a scenario where kids can do some of those things that kids have always done. Build cubbies, make mud pies, make a kite and fly it, roll down a grassy hill, you know. Excellent. All that sort of stuff. And it's actually fascinating, Bryn, because, you know, we'll, we'll have an event. And we'll say, so we had one a little while ago uh, at Yanship National Park and we, all we really did 
was we organised for the National Park crew to collect branches and sticks for us and put them in a pile. Yeah. And then we, we had a couple of providers come along and help out with little ancillary things, but really it was about sticks. And we called it Cubby Town. And we invited people to come and build cubbies. Yeah. You know, and we made a bit of a fe- festival atmosphere out of it. We had 5,000 people wow. come to build cubbies. Wow. You know, and that's something you can do any day of the week, any weekend. Yeah. That's kids and Kids and, parents. and parents, yeah. So 5,000 people came out and had a huge day building cubbies. Now, for us, that's a great experience for those families. But one of the really important things in all of our events is that we want people to be able to replicate it on the weekends when we're not there. Yeah. You know, so we would never run an event that a parent can't replicate themselves the next weekend. So look, it's it's just about... So this is pitched not just at the kids, but at the absolutely, adults as well. Absolutely. See how fun it is. We would never run an event with just kids there because we don't want them to go home and, and tell their parents what a great time they had right. and for the parent to go, huh, I hope they're doing that again next week. Yes, and then they can just offload the kids. They can offload it. We want the parents to be there to see those eyes go bright, yep. to see the kid tear around and be excited, to see how easy it is, and to, for that to trigger something in their parenting. Yeah, or touch their own childhood. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, to remember, remember what happened. And, and they do, and it's across all demographics, and we have people from lots of different countries come along, and, and you'll see... People who you would assume their cultural experience is hugely different, but their their experience of childhood has actually been really similar. similar. And they, you know, you you got mums in hijabs, you know, watching kids build cubbies, and hugely excited and getting it and is remembering their childhood as much as you know the mum in thongs and shorts. You know, it's 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 a common language. That language of play is is a common language. We don't need a translate it for anybody so we provide opportunities for people to see that and to do it and get their hands dirty um, but then we do a lot of just trying to share the, the message so we do a lot with the media and we do a lot through social media and, yeah. and through technology to try and remind people cool. of what it's all about and yeah. just to get out and have fun outstanding and what's the fu- what, what's your future vision for nature play well, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting journey already. Yeah. So it started in WA and it's now spread to South Australia, Queensland and Canberra, where you know we, we hope to, for it to spread to the rest of the states and territories. Yep. And we're in discussions with state governments and, and others to try and make that happen. But really, it's around trying to change the conversation yes. around what good parenting looks like and exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. You know, Parents are really judgmental of each other. Right? Yes. And I've experienced the school car park. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I mean, one of the one of our goals is we, we love the idea of a parent bringing a kid to school with a broken arm and instead of, you know, condescension, yes. the other parents say, what happened? And they say, well... Looking down the nose. Looking and- down the nose. And the parent with a kid with a broken arm says, well, they'll climb a tree and they fell out and the car park breaks out and golf claps. Yes. That's that's where we want to get it to. We yeah. want to get it to the point where people understand and support each other in letting their kids have a real childhood and understanding that there'll be some bumps and bruises, but that the big picture yes. will be a win, you know. So they're continually learning. Yeah. 
But in terms from a you know from an organisational perspective, what's the future for Nature Play? I hope the future for Nature Play is that we don't need to exist anymore. That Excellent. that would be success. Yeah. You know, obsolescence is what we yeah. aim for. But at the moment, it's going the other way. Despite all of our efforts, it's going the other way. I mean, we're we're getting some traction in Western Australia and in Perth, but it's there's still so many forces and so many cultural phenomena that mm. are, are working against the idea of nature play that such as well you know the the growing the growing entertainment industry yes you know so entertainment is kind of the enemy of play yes because it's passive and it, it's it's in exactly the same pockets of time that kids might otherwise be playing, be playing yes. you know so Entertainment is where kids can relax, and well, we all love it. Yeah, it comes to you. It comes to you, and and your, you know, your emotions go up and down with it, and you get a bit of excitement, and it, it's fun, and we all need a bit of that in our downtime. Yes, but we need you know kids and, and adults. I mean, we we need play in our downtime too. And what's happening is that the, the entertainment is pushing out the play. Yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know if you've. I often will say that you know, calling those digital entertainments play is like calling colouring in art. Oh, yeah. You know, because, I heard that in your TED talk. Yeah. You know, but it's just that thing of you need to have the black line under your control, not just the colours. You, know, you need to be able to shape what it's all about. And yes. To start something and decide that it needs to be something else entirely. I find I find it's interesting you talk about uh, the, the 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 technology and um, and the entertainment through that. I, I see a lot of I've seen a lot of other parents where there'll be the DVD player in the back of the car for a yeah. three hour journey. Yeah, you know I used to grow up just zoning out, looking out the window, yeah. just to drive trucks for a period of time. Um, or you're at a restaurant and you hear, oh yeah, the kids will go mad if they don't have their iPad yeah. or something like that. I find that um, with my own daughter, sure, yeah, she can sit and play with my iPad. She doesn't have one of her own. Yeah. And, and then it'll be, all right, it's time to switch it off. Yeah. And there's, there's what I refer to as this jello layer that she goes through for about five or ten minutes when she's, she's cranky as all cranky because uh-huh. she's been, you know, she's had it all come to her and now I'm telling her to switch it off. And she says, what am I going to do, Dad? And it's like, I don't know. You're yeah. going to have to figure it out for yourself. There's tons of... There's tons of stuff to do outside. There's yeah. tons of um, art stuff you can play with. And I get this cranky sort of recovering smacky for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then I just ignore her. Yeah. And then five or ten minutes later, it's all sweetness and light and off yeah. we go. And yeah. I think, again, sometimes, and I've been guilty of it as well, sometimes in that cranky period, you, you don't want to deal with cranky kids on top of everything else that's stressful in life. Absolutely. I mean, that entertainment's great for kids. The kids love it. Yeah. It's great for parents. And this is, this is on the surface level yes. because it's kind of crack for parents because what you don't want is a cranky kid. Yes. You know, what you want, and you don't want a kid saying, Dad, I'm bored. You know, no. that, that's a pain. You know, it gets in the way of all the other things that you want to do. Cranky kid, I'm bored. Yeah. Parents never used to have an easy solution for that. Yeah. You know, other than say, well, piss off outside and entertain <laughs> yourself. Now we do. We can plug that hole. Yes. As soon as the kid says, I'm bored, you can go, okay, here's the iPad. Off you go. Off you go. And parent can go back to what they yeah. otherwise want to do. You anesthetize that anxiety. They can anesthetize their own anxiety. That's exactly right. 
and they can, you know, they can pacify the I'm bored and I don't know what to do thing. One of the things that we really, we talk about quite a bit is trying to reimagine that word of boredom. You know, we want, yeah. when parent, when you, as a parent, when you hear that I'm bored, yeah. you get that anxiety. Like, yeah. oh, this kid's going to be cranky. Am I doing the right thing? Am I stimulating them enough? You know, are they going to resent me? You know, all, yeah. all that. You know, and it's a, a synthesized version of that. But what really we, we suggest is being said when the kid says I'm bored, what they're really saying is I'm about to do something interesting. They don't right. know. They don't know they're saying that. They don't know. They that. don't know they're saying that. They don't know they're on the cusp of greatness. <laughs> they don't know they're on the cusp of greatness. But but boredom's the precondition for creativity. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't make something unless you've had a, a moment of, of downtime. Like, you know, you need to be bored to find ways to invent your way out of it. I love that. You know, so, as soon as, as soon as they say I'm bored and you, you deny them the opportunity to invent their way out of mm. boredom, you're robbing them of the opportunity to be creative. Mm. And we want creative kids and we yeah. want resilient kids. So let them be bored and then let them figure it out. And you'll have to put up with that jello layer and that creative yes. layer. But then, as you say, if you if you stick with that, then you you'll see great things happen, and you can even do little little tricky things like you know they say they're bored and you can leave them to it, but it doesn't have to be leaving them to it in a in a room with just a few things. You can you can put a couple of bits and pieces, yes. out, a broom and a sheet, yes, you know, next to the couches if oh, you're yeah. inside. Then let them go. Then step away. If they're outside, you know, maybe you. You get a couple of boxes from the Harvey Norman down the road, and you, oh, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, there are little things you can sew in there that you let them manipulate, and then it'll take off. Off they go. Yeah. Outstanding. Superb. So, um, I guess, obviously, Nature Play is trying to bring kids back to play. Yep. Um, and, and reconnect adults and parents with the concept of kids playing and and it sounds like you know it's an uphill battle yeah what um this might seem a a dark question and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to bring about anxiety in the audience but how do you see this generation of kids growing up and what sort of generation will they be like you know I, as a 40-year-old, I'm dealing with millennials in the workplace. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that presents an interesting challenge. And, you know, I didn't think I was part of a generational gap, and now I very much feel like it. Yeah. Um, there's going to be this next bunch of kids coming in afterwards. How do you see them mapping out yeah. on about if this remains unabated? Well, the thing is, we don't know. I yeah. mean, we're conducting an experiment. Um, you know, it's, this has never been tried before. You know, no generation has ever had the situation where they've kept their kids largely inside. I mean, our kids spend less time outside than our maximum security prisoners. Yeah, you said that you know? in the TEDx. That so, made me giggle. <laughs> so we've got that going on. We're, we're removing that time of boredom. Um, we're having them be more sedentary than any generation in history. We don't know how that's going to play out. You know, there's, there's lots of positives for, for modern kids. They're getting much more emotional engagement. You know, they're they're getting the opportunity to explore and research the world through the internet in ways that no yeah. other generation has. So there, there'll be positives for sure. Yes, the horizons are going to be really broad. They if are. You think about yourself growing up in this remote part of yeah. Western Australia, which was great. Yeah. 
Yeah. But awareness of it elsewhere was minimal. Yes. You know? So there'll be there'll be great things. There'll be really positive things that will come out of it. What I worry about is that that resilience and creativity, those two things are the things that worry me. So what you need in the simplest possible form to promote creativity is opportunity for kids to make stuff up. Yeah. You know, not just be presented with packaged things. Make stuff up. And for resilience, you need the opportunity to make stuff-ups. Stuff-ups, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So you get those two things. Make stuff up and make stuff-ups. If you can provide opportunities for that, they're going to be okay. How are they going to be into the future? It's really, really hard to... I, I don't know. Yeah. We're in uncharted territory. Yes. Um, but my concern is that creativity and resilience. Mm. And, and we've certainly seen some preludes that are concerning. So, um, you know, we're seeing... In countries like in China, for example, where the one-child policy has been around, was around for yeah. quite a while, we had some very intense parenting going on. Yes, you know, in China, like you mentioned earlier on, yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a real concern has been emerging in China post the one-child policy about a lack of resilience because you're getting these kids being told how wonderful they are by loving and caring yes. parents through their lives, and then they're rocking up into the workplace and collapsing the first time a boss gives them a hard time. Yes. So, you know, I worry about that. Yes. But I think we can turn it around, and I think there's there's ways that parents, if parents, if we all, not just parents, teachers, neighbours, mm. if we all value kids making stuff up and making yes. stuff ups, then they're going to get those chances. Mm. But I worry that they're missing those. Maybe there's something in there for adults themselves too make stuff up and make stuff up and give themselves the scope to do it as absolutely. well absolutely absolutely as a parent and and beyond a parent. And, and as an adult and yeah, any yeah. functioning human absolutely right awesome yeah awesome well this is this has been great to chat if we were going to sum up and take take on board what we've we've been talking about yeah. and, and condense it into griff's little nuggets of life to help people yeah. navigate through life yeah. how would you how would you sum them up well, look, I think that thing we are just talking about is probably the key. Make yeah. stuff up and make stuff up. So that, that's huge. But I also think just bear in mind as a parent that your child's moving away from you. Yes. And they will spend the vast majority of their life without you. Yes. You know, so while you've got their attention, yes. you know, for that fleeting moment before you become totally irrelevant and I've got teenagers so I'm, I'm rapidly heading into that yeah. territory take the opportunity to to provide moments for them where they can learn to be functioning independent people because I think we I think we've got to a point where we undersell being practical and, and having the capacity to look after ourselves so bring that back that's not exactly a nugget that's a long-winded yes nugget but Provide opportunities for play. Provide opportunities for mistakes. Don't be scared of failure. Yeah. Let them have it, and then and don't over don't overlay disaster on yes. failure. Failure is a good thing. Let them have little failures. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming today and having Cheers. this conversation. I've certainly appreciated being able to have a very open and honest conversation about parenting because, as you said, I think we don't 
we don't have enough of these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, um, you know, it's very much my child's doing this, my child's doing that, and there's a big judgment aspect, and we're all proud as punch yeah. of, our, of our kids and what have you, but how often do we actually step out and have these real conversations about yeah. parenting and, and, and stuffing up and, and stuff? Yeah. So I really appreciate it. That, Griff, thank you very much. Thanks, Bryn. Been cool. fun. Cool. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers.